bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobiel. And now, today's word. I started teaching on the principle of gathering, and I said it would be a four-part message, and it is a four-part message, and this is part number four, and it is my concluding part in the series of the principle of gathering. We've talked about many things. Last week, we talked about the seven ideas or thoughts or rules that govern gathering, and we've talked about the fact that God is able to put the pieces together even when we fall, and we've talked about the fact that we have to learn to gather problems and distribute them properly so that we don't get overwhelmed by the floods of life. So today, in part number four, I'm going to look at the subtitle, Reaping What You Did Not Sow. Reaping What You Did not so. You know, because many times when we talk about gathering and reaping, we are always talking about you reap what you sow and, and so on and so forth. But there is another part of it, and that's what I'm concluding with, reaping what you did not sow. And so we're going to start from John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 37 and verse 38. Now, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking after he went to Samaria, met the woman at the well, and his disciples came and saw him talking to this woman and and engaged Jesus. And in that discourse, Jesus uh, said these words that I'm about to read. John chapter 4, verse 37 to 38. For in this... The saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So I didn't make up the title, reaping what you didn't sow. Jesus was the one who said it that there are moments when that happens. The natural law is that you reap what you sow. But there are moments, uh, historical moments, prophetic moments, when you don't reap what you have sown. And there are two implications to that statement of Jesus. The first one is that God can give you a harvest that you did not labor for. God can help you to reap what you did not sow in a positive way. And Jesus told his disciples, you are reaping what you did not sow. He says, others have already labored and you have entered their labor. In other words, you are benefiting from their labor. And perhaps when Jesus said it, he's telling his disciples that the reason why you are successful in ministry is not just because of you, Other people have labored ahead of you. And probably he meant John the Baptist, who came ahead of him and worked so hard. Jesus himself thrust his ministry on the credibility of John the Baptist. And then there were the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about the coming of Jesus, but never saw it. So they labored. But the disciples were the one who met Jesus 
Isaiah never met Jesus. Jeremiah never met Jesus, although they spoke about him. So there are moments when God can give you a harvest that you did not labor for. You didn't work for it, but God gives it to you. I believe all of us at one level, we are beneficiaries of things we didn't labor for. I believe personally that one of the reasons why God called me into the ministry was because of my mother. And she prayed. She was a very a strong Christian, a praying woman, and prayed. And I saw later after she had died, her notebooks and, and her Bible and things she had underlined and written the names of her children. And, and I got to understand, looking at me and who I was, there was no way I was going to do what I'm doing except that somebody labored and I entered into her labor. And each one of us, each one of us, Reap what we did not sow. Sometimes it's the prayer of, of your parents, prayer of your grandparents, prayer of other people. Today we see churches springing up all over Ghana, but there were people who sowed the seed, missionaries who labored, and many of them did not see this result. Some of them didn't even have 10 people gathering to hear them. I think of movements like the Scripture Union, which did tremendous work that preceded much of what uh, we are seeing today. I believe that the effect of Christianity in Ghana today is largely, largely due to the work of Scripture Union because they went to the secondary schools, went to the universities through Garfest, and most of those people never planted churches. They didn't have congregation, but others have entered their labor. So where you stand today, God has something for you that is not a result of your effort. So we gather where we have not labored. That's the first implication. The second implication derives from the first. And the second implication is that God may not give you the harvest you labored for. <laughs> you don't want to hear that one. God may not give you the harvest you labored for. Remember, he said to the disciples, others uh, have labored and you have entered the labor. One sows, the other reaps. So there are things I'm doing now and you are doing now that you will not reap the harvest for. It's going for another generation. Sometimes it's for your children or your grandchildren or future generations. There are things we are praying for now that we will not see the results of except maybe in the next 50 years. Some of you will be alive. Most people will not be around in the next 50 years. But then God will answer the prayer in the next 50 years. So don't get discouraged when you don't see the harvest of what you have sowed because God sometimes transfers the harvest to another generation. My mother never saw the fruit of her labor. She, ne she never saw me become a pastor. She never attended my church. But she prayed for it. So sometimes you pray for things and you don't get a harvest. Somebody else is going to get a harvest. Whichever way it is, in the principle of gathering, remember God is going to give you things you didn't labor for and God is also not going to give you things you've labored for. And there are things you pray for, things you're believing for, things you expect in life which will not happen in your lifetime. It will happen in another life. And I'm going to show you how it works in the Bible very soon. And that is the principle about not reaping 
what we have sown. And why is it so that sometimes we labor and we don't reap, or others labor and we reap from them? It's because God is eternal. God is not bound by the time limitations we have. God is timeless. We are time bound. I was born a certain time. You were born a certain time. You went to school a certain time. Your life is following a certain calendar time. God's life, if we can put it that way, has no calendar. So when God is working, he's not working on the same terms that we work. He is eternal. And because he's eternal, his purposes go across generations. God's purposes go across generations. He promised a redeemer to Adam and Eve after Adam and Eve had sinned. He promised them a redeemer. As a matter of fact, he said to the woman, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. When Eve had her first child, Cain, she actually thought this is what God was talking about, that Cain is going to be the one who is going to break the curse. Unfortunately, Cain worsened it. The promise is to Eve, but she was not around when Jesus came because God works across generations. When we are dealing with God, we are not just dealing with your time work. You know, many times we want God to do it right now, right now, right now, right now. God, do it now. I need you, Lord, do it now. Many times he does things in our time, but a lot of times he doesn't do it in our lifetime. Eve is an example. He didn't see it. And because God is eternal, his purposes go across generations. You know, we human beings, when we plan, we do short-term planning. Most of us, our plan is for today. Every day we, we, have, we, we take our diaries or whatever we write to do. I have to go to the bank. I have to withdraw some money. I have to make some investment. I have to call this one. I have to do that. To do and, uh, and, and you keep ticking, ticking, ticking to the end of the day, you realize, okay, I've done much of my to-do. Some people go beyond daily to-do and do weekly to-do. This week, I'm going to do this. And some two people do monthly. A few people do yearly. Even when it comes to companies, businesses, they do probably three-year, five-year, seven-year plans. Rarely would you find people do more than a 10-year plan. Ghana had a 20-year plan we call uh, Vision 2020. And when 2020 came, there was no vision. <laughs> There's no vision. Lord have mercy. So many times we make short-term plans. But God doesn't make short-term plans. Of course, there are things he does in the short term. He can say tomorrow about this time, and in 24 hours, things can change. But sometimes he can say tomorrow, and, and it's a thousand years. God's tomorrow is very, very God. <laughs> it can be a thousand years, and it can be 24 hours. And because God works across generations, he uses different people across generations. He uses different people across generations. So sometimes for something to happen in, in the scheme of things relating to God, sometimes for something to happen, he's going to work across generations with different kind of people. 
and I've put together just most uh, a few of the kinds of people God uses. The first people are what I call the planters. The planters. They begin an, an idea, they sow the seed. They begin it. Like Abraham, he's a planter. God said to him, leave your father's land to the land I'll show you. And he left. He was the original visioner of Israel's future and also of the future of God's people. A planter. And sometimes in your family, you can find people who are planters who thought way ahead. Maybe a hundred years ago, you later discover your grandfather or your great-grandfather bought some 2,000 acres of land, 10,000 acres of land, and, and, and at the time he was buying it, it was all bush. And he bought it, and later on, other people will come and build on it. They are planted. They are originators. And many times in our lives, we are planters for other people. And there are people who are also planters for us. Planters are originators. Then the second group are what I call the waterers. Waterers are those who come, they don't plant, but they water. They keep the plant alive. You know, one of the big tragedies of life is that many times all of us want to be planted. We want to be originators. We want to be the one who started and finished it. And so when we come to meet something that has been started, we don't water it because it's not our plant. And one of the tragedies we have for governments in our part of the world is everybody wants to start and finish. I was the one who did this road. I was the one who did that building. I was the one who did this. Of course, the voters are narrow-minded, so they also think narrow, and the politicians are following the voters and thinking narrow. But how can a nation or a people or a family make progress if nobody plants or if everybody plants? Because if somebody plants, there must be a generation that waters the plant. There must be a generation that waters the plant. Then there are naturists. The naturists come and fight for the plant so that it doesn't die. Now all these waterers and naturists, they are not planters. They didn't start anything original, but they made sure the plant did not die. And then the fourth group is what I call the reapers. The reapers are the ones whom everybody celebrates. They are the, the ones who run the ankle leg in a relay. They get the baton at the last minute and run very fast, and everybody sees them go and breast the tape. But before they started running, somebody started and handed over to another person, and handed over to another person, and handed over to them. Now, we have to understand that there are things that God will use you to plant. But there are also things God will use you just to water. And there are things God will use you to nurture. And there are things you will come, you didn't plant, you didn't water, you didn't nurture, all you came is to reap. That's what happens. It's, it's like in, in football, the people who score the goals. The movement starts from the back. A defender picks the ball, makes the right pass. And then it goes somewhere in the midfield, and then he goes to an attacking midfielder, and then somebody goes, slots it in at the end. He didn't pick the ball from the beginning. We tend to celebrate the reapers and forget the planters, the waterers, and the naturalists. 
But if we're going to achieve anything in life, we have to remember that there will be planters and you may not be a planter. Somebody started. Your job is to ensure this good idea does not die. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. This is the final instruction to Israel as they're going to the promised land. It says, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Then Joshua chapter 24, verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, Cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. There's a, this is God speaking to the reaping generation. He's saying to Israel, you're going to the land. But this is a promise I gave to Abraham. Abraham is the planter. Isaac, Jacob, they watered the plant. Moses nurtured it and ensured that that plan would stay on track. And then Joshua comes. He didn't plant, he didn't water, he didn't nurture. All Joshua did is to reap the promises. Four generations, each one playing their role. And God says, I'm taking you to a place you didn't suffer for. If you think you are successful, and it's all because of you. You're narrow-minded. You went to school and you did well. But have you forgotten what your father did? Maybe your father was an illiterate. But he had a plan. And he said, every child of mine will go to school. And he sacrificed everything. Now you go to school and you are doing so well and you think you are brilliant. But if nobody had been ahead of you to sow the seed, where would your brilliance be? The same way, there are things we don't have that we are planting for our children to reap. There are things we don't have that we are planting for our grandchildren to reap. Because our job is to understand that God it's a generational God. And he uses different kinds of people. He uses planters. He uses waterers. And he uses other people. So Joshua's generation inherited the promise of Abraham's generation. Then 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 7 to 10. This is Solomon speaking. He says, now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a temple 
But your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Solomon built the temple that David desired and planned for. Solomon didn't have a plan to build a temple. In fact, if it was left to Solomon, I don't think any temple would be built. Because as we get to know about his character, he was a playboy. But before he was born, his father had a plan, a vision. I'm going to build a temple for God. Solomon, if it was left to him, would build temples for other gods and not to the God of Israel. Because his lifestyle showed that that was not his priority. But the priority was set by David. David was in David's heart. And not only was it in David's heart, he bought the land where the temple must be built. And not only that, he drew the plans for the temple. And not only that, he raised the money for the temple. But God says, you've done all of these things, but you're not going to build it. You've done all the hard work. It's like a government that has a nice plan and, and goes and does the plan and raises the money and does everything and initiates the plan, but they don't finish it. The next government comes and finishes it. And we all say the next government has done better. But we forget there was a David before there was a Solomon. It's a continuity. If we don't think about it that way, everybody will selfishly want to plant and nobody will water. So Solomon comes and contrary to his own playboy image, his priorities were wrong, but because a generation had planned, prepared, drew the plans, then had raised the money, all he needed to do was put all the resources together. In fact, even the letters to the people who should supply wood, all of that, he wrote the letters and said, my father had already made arrangements for these things. David did everything but execute. And Solomon came and executed. That is why when you read the Bible, it doesn't call it the temple of Solomon. It calls it the temple of David. Although he didn't build it, it was the temple of David. If we don't think generationally that way, we will all be first leg runners and there will be no finishers. Concluding thoughts. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good man, I think we can add the women too. A good person or a good man, a good woman, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So two ways in which we reap what we did not sow, according to Proverbs 13. One is reaping the rewards of a generational blessing. That's what I have spent much of my time talking about. Reaping the rewards of a generational blessing. Solomon, Joshua, all of them reap the rewards of a generational blessing. And may God help us to live 
an inheritance for our children's children. And if you don't have any biological children, leave an inheritance for your nephews and your nieces. And if you don't have nephews and nieces, leave it for the church. Yes. Wouldn't it be nice for somebody to say, listen, I'm leaving this inheritance, ensure that every child who comes to this church will have a good education. And I've endowed their school fees to infinity. That's what it means. So although you may not be here, your money will be educating people. Your money will be paying the hospital bills of people. Your money will be helping people. We live an inheritance for the future. The pastor says your children's children, but not everybody has a child. Doesn't mean you don't live an inheritance. You must live an inheritance. You have nephews, you have nieces, you have cousins, you have brothers and sisters. You have friends. You have your church. You have community. Leave an inheritance that keeps speaking for you after you are gone. So that's the first one. But there's a second one that the passage talks about. It says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. In other words, the wicked people also gather. But when they gather, God piles it up and piles it up and piles it up and looks for the right person and transfers it to them. It's called the transfer of wealth from the wicked. And may the Lord give us transfer of wealth from the wicked. Bad, wicked people. Evil people. May God give us their wealth. But don't go around standing in people's houses and say, this is a wicked man. I claim your wealth. No, no, no. You don't go claiming it says you to be laid for you. If it is for you, it will come to you. If it's not for you, leave him alone to enjoy his money. All right? But the important thing is we lay blessing for generations. And even people who are evil invest into God's plan. Because money they didn't intend for righteous cause will end up being used for righteous cause. Money has no moral value. The money you have today, if you have money in your pocket, you know who had it before you had it. Maybe the last place it was, it came from arm robbery. And there you are holding the money. Does it mean you are an arm robber? No. The money came from arm robbery, but it's in your, it's in your pocket. And you can now use it for righteous cause. So sometimes people may even acquire money from a wrong source, but God can find a way to use the, that money for a righteous purpose. The wealth of the wicked is stored for the righteous. So, as we conclude our series, God is able to give you what you didn't labor for. And may you get cities that you did not build, vineyards that you didn't plant, furniture that you didn't acquire, May God give you transgenerational blessing, transgenerational favor, transgenerational opportunity, transgenerational impact. May it be upon you, upon your children, upon your children's children. May God raise up planters for you. May God raise up waterers for you. May God raise up naturists for you. May God raise up reapers for you. 
Wherever you find yourself in this continuum of God's blessing, may you walk in the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. And beyond that, may you live a righteous life. And may God see you as a receptacle for the wealth of the wicked. So that when wicked people plan and do evil, and they gain by evil, God will find a way to transfer that wealth to you. May you be an inheritor of wealth, and may money in your hand do good. Wealth in your hand do good. Wealth in your hand change situations. Wealth in your hand be a blessing. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that each one of us will be worthy of your blessing. Will be worthy of the inheritance you give to us. That we will not waste the opportunities that you give to us. That we will be true gatherers of your blessing, of your favor, of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's celebrate the Lord, everybody. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebil, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebil. Email otterbill at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000. I'm just fine with Fifi Folsen.